Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Ishmael Kawaja. Hello, hope you're doing well. It's Monday the 13th of February. Thanks for downloading today's podcast. We start with our most read story at Kent Online. The parents of a Gravesend boy who died after being hit by a lorry on the A2 say they have no idea why he took his own life. 16-year-old Ekam Sadana was killed on the coastbound carriageway last September. Well, to tell us more about this story, I'm joined by our reporter Sean McPolin, who was following the inquest at County Hall in Maystone. So, Sean, what do we know about what happened? So, what we know is Ekam Sadana's parents, Mr and Mrs Singh, um, went away to Paris for a couple of days with friends. Um, and Ecam was staying at a friend's house with his sister, uh, being watched by his friend's grandparents. And in the early hours of the morning, at around 3am, he rang his uh, his parents, telling them he was feeling low and lonely, um, before going on to say how much he loved them. And uh, Ecam's mum, Arshan, was initially obviously very worried and tried to, to calm him down, to make him feel better, um, and even advised reading some scripture before sort of uh, hanging up and um, trying to message him. Um, but then they began worried when he wasn't replying, so they, they rang family and friends, um, asking them to go look for Ecamm to make sure he was all right, as he'd messaged saying that he was going to leave his phone um, and belongings outside in the uh, friend's family garden. And then one uh, family member or friend of the family uh, was driving along the A2 when he noticed the police presence and that was when uh, he spotted um, Ecam's body on the side of the road. He said he uh, noticed him and knew it was him um, by his curly hair, um, which obviously he was, he was quite well known for. Um, and that's when he rang Ecam's parents to tell them the sad news. What did police find from their investigation? So during the police's investigation, they um, didn't find any signs of sort of suicidal thoughts, low mood or depression from Ecam. Um, he was sort of described as like a generally happy and quiet boy. Um, he had a he was a popular young lad. He had a, a good circle of friends. Um, yeah, he had been in a relationship the year before, but I think it had ended due to to exams coming up and sort of a busy busy schedule for both. Um, but there was no sign of of this sort of suicidal ideation, and um, they found on his phone there was a screenshot of his password uh, as the screensaver so that his friends and family could could get into his phone and then as the actual screensaver when you logged in was a, a note that he had he had left the family and his friends sort of telling them how much he loved them and how sorry he was for what he was about to do um, and he he just couldn't carry on anymore. And so what was the coroner's conclusion, Sean? So coroner Alan Blunsden um, described it as a, as a tragic case, um, but he said there was no other ruling he could come to apart from that of suicide. I think coupled with the um, the suicide notes and the, the call to his parents before and sort of the apology for what he was about to do, um, that, that was the only ruling he could come to. But he, he did mention that it was a, a really upsetting an emotional case and, and completely unforeseen and that Ecam's parents um, would have had absolutely no idea what decision their son was going to make that morning. Ecam's parents spoke after the inquest. What did they have to say? Speaking after the inquest, uh, Mr and Mrs Singh described their son um, just as a kind, generous and compassionate um, young man. He, they said he was a loving brother, a devoted son a person that got on well with everyone, including his family, friends 
and relatives, um, they said they're never really going to be able to come to terms with, with what's happened. Um, their life has completely changed forever um, following their loss. And now they've um, told kids, teenagers or, or younger people who are struggling with similar issues um, to, to speak out about it with loved ones and just, just wanted to let them know that they are loved and even though things are tough, they, they will be able to get through it. Thanks for those details, Sean. Well, if you need confidential support on any emotional issue, you can call Samaritans on 116123 at any time or get help on their website. Kent Online reports. Our other top stories today, police investigating a fatal crash that took the life of a teenager in Farningham. A VW Polo was driving along the A20 on Gores Hill on Saturday night when it collided with a Mercedes travelling in the other direction. The victim was pronounced dead at the scene, while another two passengers are in a stable condition in hospital. Two men believed to be the drivers have been released on bail as investigations continue. Four teenagers have been arrested following reports a 15-year-old girl was sexually assaulted at a school in Dover. According to the Times newspaper, the boys are thought to be Afghan asylum seekers who crossed the channel on small boats last year. Police are investigating the attack, which is said to have happened last Monday. A Maestro man who carried out lewd acts either from his front room or bedroom windows has been placed on the sex offenders register for five years. A court heard Daniel Vince from Dover Street was high on cocaine on at least seven occasions. The 38-year-old admitted all offences, including indecent exposure. He's been ordered to complete 30 rehab sessions, 200 hours of unpaid work and has to pay £200 in compensation to a victim. And a Broadstairs woman who lunged at another woman with a knife, narrowly missing her head, has avoided being sent to prison. Yvonne Ellender waved the weapon and repeatedly hit a car. She tries to get it through a gap in a window in June 2020. The 36-year-old from Prince Charles Road admitted a fray and possessing a knife. She's got to do 150 hours of unpaid work. Kent Online reports. The Kent Online podcast been told any hike in the cost of a travel pass for school children in Kent could make it unaffordable for lots of families. Families. The Kent Travel Saver Card currently sets mums and dads back £450 a year. Council bosses are yet to confirm the new charge, but it's understood it could be around £600. Well, Nicholas has been speaking with Mark Hood, who's a Green Party councillor in Tunbridge. This is the second year in a row we've had an enormous rise in the Kent Travel Saver because it went up to £450 last, last time, and we tried to stop that last time as well. And we managed to stop it for... Um, we managed to stop an increase for those who are in receipt of um, free school meals. But um, we haven't had the opportunity to even go down that route this year because nothing is, is as yet confirmed, as you say. I was trying to remember how much the travel pass was when it first started. And a figure of kind of 150 was in my head. And that wasn't that long ago. I mean, it has seen a huge rise, hasn't it, over a very short space of time for parents. I mean, how do you think they would be feeling if they've got children perhaps starting secondary school in September, want a bit of independence and are pestering their parents to let them use the bus? When the um, when the Kent Travel Saver was brought in under a different name, it was actually only £50. And it was such great value because um, children could use it at the weekends um, and there was unlimited travel. And steadily the prices have risen and also it's proven very difficult because they've cut the, um, they've cut the terms of it. So you can't use it now at the weekend. So it's a it's a problem when we're trying to get youngsters into good habits in using public transport to have these kind of restrictions put in and to see the escalating costs. So it's going to be 
far out of the reach of the pocket of many of many uh, families, because it's all very well protecting those at the very very bottom. But what about those who are feeling the pinch because of the cost of living crisis? It's especially if you've got more than one one child. It's um, it's going to be really really difficult for for people. And how worried, Mark, are you that it may force more people back into their cars and say, well, in the long run, it's going to be cheaper for me just to drive? I'm extremely worried. We're, uh, my division, uh, Tunbridge, we've got an air quality management area in the um, in the high street. And we've got um, we've got buses transporting children from across West Kent into Tunbridge, which is an educational hub through that corridor in the high street. And if we see a, a dramatic increase, a noticeable increase in that those numbers because children are being brought in by car. Then you, we're going to see more more pollution. So it's 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 crazy. The the other consideration is a lot of the money from the Kent Travel Saver is actually going to, to support the uh, commercial bus services. And if if the whole system is withdrawn, um, then basically the whole thing falls apart. But what we really need to see is a, a, a complete change in regulation in the same way that Cornwall has and Manchester. So you've got a they've got a transport uh, for Cornwall system down there and it works really well. And that's what we need here. But the only way you're going to get that is by having a change of gov governance. So you would either have an assembly for Kent, which we've been pushing for um, both ourselves and the Liberal Democrats, or maybe um, unitaries, which we're not really in favour of. But something has to change because you can't go on like this. The pass allows children to travel by bus during the week at a cheaper rate than buying tickets each day. A court said how a Hernbay woman who was found face down in the street because she was so drunk had two children in her care at the time. Tony Ashby wasn't able to speak properly or stand up when she was found late at night in September last year. The 36-year-old from Queen Street in the town admitted being drunk in charge of a child. She'll be sentenced in April. Now looking elsewhere for a moment, members of Kent Fire Rescue are on the ground in Turkey, helping authorities there search for survivors a week after two deadly earthquakes. At the time of recording, at least 35,000 people were confirmed to have died there and in neighbouring Syria. The United Nations Relief Chief says the emergency response is now moving to the next phase, which is to get food and shelter to survivors. But rescues described as miracles are still being reported. Martin Stanley is a firefighter usually based in Canterbury. I've never seen anything like it. Complete devastation, people just broken. I don't think I can explain to someone with words what, what, what it's like it's, it's completely uh, a whole city completely devastated it's, it's, it's unbelievable my team uh, we were more involved in the um, assessment phase so going around uh, a specified area that we were given just checking all the buildings and then later on we've uh, been I've actually been tunnelling um, through, uh, through a building where we could hear a, a lady who's really deeply inside this uh, this her flats that was about five six floors high um yeah and we just basically followed her voice and kept digging and it turned out that she was with um, a gentleman as well so there's two people in there brad rebeck is a crew manager in deal i was lucky enough to play quite a central part in the first rescue we did um with a 60 year old lady tunneling through the through the building it's uh you don't think of it at the time but to have actually made a diff that much difference to someone's life who 
well, she wouldn't be here if we hadn't done what we'd done. An experience I'll never forget, that's for sure. And finally, Jim Chaston is a firefighter who normally works in Maidstone. As you can imagine, it's pretty much a scene of devastation. It's a really large city that's almost completely devastated by the earthquake. The early hours when we were on the ground, um, as soon as they saw us on the streets, we were pretty much getting pulled uh, here, there and everywhere, trying to find you know possible live victims amongst the buildings. Um, we, you know, we quickly found some. We had some really good early wins and some successful rescues. We were working in an area where uh, actually the, the a Turkish assessment team were quite close by and started talking to the lady D that was that was running their team, and she asked whether we were available to deploy out of our sector. Um, that uh, there was potentially a family that uh, were trapped that were making a noise. Um, she provided us with uh, with a pickup truck that we managed to climb on the back of and and sort of get over to that sector. It was it was really uh, evident very quickly that they, they, they were alive, they were making noise and, and crying for help. Um, we were fortunate that there, although it was a, a, a complete collapse, there was a void that was in, in that area that the intelligence, the local intelligence was saying was potentially their bedroom. Uh, we managed to get into that void um, and with some hand tools, cut through some furniture and a bit of bed um, and, and find a natural hole that had been created um, by the earthquake, which was big, big enough to get the uh, the two-year-old girl out of, um, which, which was obviously, you know, that was that was a great success. We then had to concentrate on how to try and get that young girl's uh, mother and father out. Um, with, a, with a bit of hard work, uh, you know, over a period of about an hour and a half, we managed to make the hole big enough um, and the mother come out um, relatively easy. Uh, the father of the, the girl, obviously quite a bit bigger, uh, took a bit more work to make the space the space bigger, but we did eventually manage to, to reunite the three of them, uh, which was, you know, I'm not going to lie, pretty emotional. Kent Online News. On our website, you can see footage of a car on fire after it had been torched in a suspected arson attack in Ashford. Crews were called during the early hours to a house in Adams Drive in South Willsborough, where flames were creating huge plumes of black smoke. Police believe it was deliberate and are appealing for witnesses. Meanwhile, firefighters have spent the night tackling a blaze at a block of flats in Broadstairs. It's thought to have been broken out in a garden and spread to the roof of the property on Foster's Avenue. Seven fire engines and a hype vehicle were called, with crews spending more than three hours at the scene. Luckily, no one was injured. Now, there are questions over what will happen to Saga's headquarters near Folkestone after the company moves out. They've confirmed they'll be leaving in March after a change in working habits reduced the number of staff using the site. Enbrook Park in Sangate covers 27 acres, including woodland, which can be used by local people. Tim Prater is chair of the parish council. It was reassuring... Um, to me, I've, we've been in communication with um, Ewan, the chief executive of Saga. They've come back to us with some reassurance in terms of the ongoing use of the park in that certainly while they retain ownership of it, it will remain open access as it is currently. While they retain ownership of it, things like the Sangate Community Garden are going to keep their space there. Um, and. Also, Saga will continue to maintain it to the same standards, etc., as it is at the moment. Um, but that comes with the while they maintain ownership of it caveat. They claim not to have made any decisions about what happens with it next. Um, but 
it's certainly true that a lot of people locally have seen an awful lot of people wandering around up there with field alerts and survey equipment and things like that. There are clearly a lot of developers and or architects and they're sniffing the land at the moment and are trying to work out what could go on it and there will be things which Sandgate doesn't want to see. Um, there'll be some options I'm sure that people come up with which we would be happier with. We understand that if the site brings more footfall to the high street and things like that, that's a good thing. Um, certainly it's very self-contained as a building saga now. They do some outreach work into Sandgate but you you don't get lots of people coming out of the saga building anymore and coming down the high street and eating and drinking in local pubs and things as much as they used to do when it used to have twelve hundred, you know, a thousand people up there all the time and you were running out at lunchtime in order to do something. There's a lot less of that. It's much more self-contained. So there's some aspects whereby a different use of that site would bring more um, footfall and life to parts of the village. But there's a huge question on what that is and you know that shouldn't come at the loss of any of the open space um, and it, it depends on the use that they're putting it to and they're not giving answers on that at the moment. I think that's because they haven't yet made a decision but I'm also pretty clear is that they will presumably as a company they're going to be open to financial offers and the financial offers that the biggest one is likely to be in pole position and the biggest one is, you know, it would be interesting to see who that is, but certainly most people are guessing who Pardon? Guessing housing. Guessing housing. It's emerged inspectors found mouldy chopping boards and dirty facilities at a Chinese takeaway in Maidstone. Jade Garden on Sandling Road was given a one-star rating after being visited in May last year. Staff were told they should have training on food hygiene. A follow-up inspection saw their rating upgraded to three out of five. Major works are underway to prevent potential landslips at six sites on the railway in East Kent. Thousands of tonnes of earth will be removed from the banks around the track and nettings being set up. It means that buses will be replacing trains during half-term this week between Faversham and Dover Priory via Canterbury East. Chris Denham from Network Rail explains why the work is so essential. We're doing a huge amount of work on the railway between Faversham and Dover at six different locations, the most notable of which is around Selling, where the, uh, the tunnel cuts through the North Downs. The work we're doing is largely earthworks. And that's because the railway in this area was built on a mixture of chalk and London clay. And London clay is a spectacularly poor material to be building anything out of unless it's formed into bricks. So unfortunately, it's left us with a legacy of earthworks. That's cuttings where the railways cut through the hillside or embankments where it's built up. It's left us with a legacy of earthworks that are vulnerable to climate change because with huge amounts of rain and then conversely very dry summers, it means they expand and contract and we can end up with landslips in the winter and speed restrictions in the summer. So a lot of the work we're doing over this, this week-long period is shoring up the parts of the railway we know are the most vulnerable to make them safe and reliable for the future. You will see us removing some trees on the railway between Faversham and Dover, and that's trees that are a mixture of non-native species or species that are causing us a problem, either because they're soaking up lots of moisture from the track and causing it to become uneven, or they are at risk of causing a landslip themselves with their weight either on a cutting side or on the side of an embankment. We leave as many trees behind as we can, and the other important thing we do is we try and improve the biodiversity of the line side. The way we do that is by things like building log piles, dead hedges, 
we can we can leave tree stumps behind and quite tall tree stumps which we cut into with chainsaws to create bat roosts and bird roosts and we're seeding wildflowers as well so although when the work starts you'll think oh my goodness this is you know what's going on actually over time as wildlife returns and as the undergrowth builds up actually you'll end up with a much better looking railway as a result as a debate over plans to turn what's been called an ugly but well-used high street building in deal into shops and flats developers want the original factory shop to become five separate stores and build 17 apartments above it but a spokesman for the shop says they're hoping to renew their lease some residents say it would be a massive loss if it goes, but others think it looks tired and unkept. Elsewhere, an office block that was voted as one of the ugliest buildings in Maidstone could also be turned into flats. Coleman House was built in the 60s and now developers want to convert the top seven storeys into apartments. Shops on the first and second floor of the building won't be affected. Now a new £10 million control centre is being built in Gravesend to make sure the River Thames is ready for a rise in traffic. By 2050, passenger journeys are expected to increase from £5 million to £20 million. The Port of London authorities making the record investment in the county in a bid to meet the demand and help vessels navigate the river. Reporter Alex Langridge has been chatting with Stephen Clapperton, who's from the authority. This is a really, really exciting time for the Port of London Authority. Um, we're about to commit to a £10 million investment to refurbish, build a new operations centre to control all safety of navigation and all traffic movements on the tidal Thames. And what does that mean kind of for PLA and for the river? This is one of the biggest projects that we've undertaken for the last 10 or 15 years. It's a big commitment from us and it's about securing the future of the Thames as a number one net zero trading hub. We're really, really pleased to be here in Gravesend. We're committed to being part of the, the Gravesend community and hopefully this investment demonstrates that commitment. And obviously you mentioned kind of your Thames vision 2050, kind of what are the key points in that and how does reinvesting in the building affect that? Sure. We've, we've just completed our Thames vision 2050, our strategy refresh, and that tells us there's going to be significant growth in the river over the next 25 years. And so we're going to see significant increases in cargo and in passenger numbers and in light freight. So it's right that at this point in time we invest in creating a fit for the future operation centre to allow us to support this, this growing port. And obviously you mentioned it's sort of the largest um, port in the UK in terms of volume which people probably don't really know about. So kind of what comes and goes from the port and how do you guys kind of work in controlling that? Yeah, the, the Port of London has been the biggest port in the UK since 2019 and it's our ambition that we retain the title as being the biggest port right through until 2050. So our traffic management function here at Gravesend is one of our key controls on safety of navigation. So we see large ships coming in internationally from all countries all around the world bringing consumer goods, cars, oil products, all sorts of different products in and out of the UK. Alongside that, we have somewhere between 5 and 10 million passenger journeys on the tidal Thames every year, and we expect that to grow to around about 20 million by 2050. Alongside that, we also have a, a growing leisure sector in, in the tidal Thames. So it's a, it's a complex waterway, and the way that we manage that is through our operations centre here at Gravesend. Big changes coming to the prestigious Canterbury Cathedral Choir mean boys will no longer have to attend an exclusive boarding school to join. Since the 70s, male choristers have been selected from independent school St Edmunds, but it will now be open to children from any institution. It puts the boys on the same footing as the girls, with bosses saying they're committed to progressing equality. Amateur astronomers have captured the moment an asteroid exploded into a huge fireball over the English Channel last night. The one-metre rock was seen over Kent just 
just before 3am and then burst into a fireball as it fell to earth. You can see the video on our website. And if you're a fan of Call the Midwife, here's some good news for you. The show's been renewed for another two seasons, meaning it will stay on air until 2026. As you may have recognised, scenes for the period drama have been filmed at the historic dockyard in Chatham. Kent Online Sport. Football and Gillingham's run of four games unbeaten has come to an end following a 2-0 defeat away at Mansfield. Hopes were high with the Jills heading into Saturday's game off the back of three wins and a draw, but two first-half goals quickly put the game to bed. It means the Jills stay in the League 2 relegation zone. Manager Neil Harris says while it was a disappointing result, Mansfield was the better team. Mansfield were excellent. Mansfield are a team that's pushing for the top three where where we want to be. Um, played in the way like we want to play. They, they're a football team that can pass the ball but they can also play forward and run forward um, and I thought over the course of the 90 minutes they were slightly better than us today um, on my own team um, the second half much better first half I just thought we made poor decisions on the ball um, we talked a lot about today about both boxes League 2 is a lot about both boxes um, and first half we wasn't good enough in both boxes I thought it was a really cheap penalty for the first one um, yeah, I'm disappointed with the result. I'm disappointed with the performance. I've got to be honest. I've said that to the lads, um, but the group's been fantastic for four weeks, um, and we'd had ten points in four games before today. So I'm going to be careful what I say um, um, about about my squad um, because until now they've been excellent, and for us to keep getting better, we're going to have to be better than we were in that first half today for sure. I thought we were going to some good areas. Maybe didn't have enough quality at moments uh, where we have done in the previous four games. Um, we did have a couple of clear-cut opportunities where I expect us to do slightly better. Um, like after you know, Mansfield did well against us, you know, they handled us well. They, they were they were in the first half. They were certainly better than us at both ends of the pitch, um, and that's where we've fallen short today. I'm, I'm not too down. Um, you know, we've got a quick turnaround now. Look forward to Tuesday. Like I said, it's ten points to five games now, which is which is a fantastic return for where we've where we've been. Um, a great opportunity for the fans to come and support us Tuesday night. Um, great following today. Thanks to everyone that come today. Um, amazed me again when I walked out and there were so many in the way end. Um, we've been fantastic at home the last last three games, and we want to. You know, put this result behind us, learn from it. It's important that I learn from it and the group learn from it and where we can improve um, and be better Tuesday night. As Neil mentioned, they next welcome 17th place at Grimsby at Priestfield on Tuesday. Well, that's all from us for today. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and TikTok. You can also get an update of the top stories direct to your email each morning with the briefing. To sign up, just head to kentonline.co.uk. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast.